let's get underway. If you have a Bible with you, I'm just going to read from Genesis chapter 2. Um, but before we do that, but you can turn there if you want. I want you to think about someone or a place when someone talks to you about someone that they know or they've seen or a place that they've been to or they've researched. For me, when they talk about that, I will, I will begin to make a picture of that person in my mind or I will begin to make a picture of that place in my mind. So in 2013, Susan and I... Um, had the amazing opportunity to go to Italy and so we did lots of prep Susan is a prep crazy so we did lots of research or she did lots of research I just looked on if you know what I mean um, but it, I began to develop a picture of what Italy might be like in my mind and what Italian people might be like I started to develop a picture so that's what we do we, we develop pictures we, we, for, we even form opinions about people and places even before we meet them. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, we do. We do. It's just human nature. That's what we do. But when we actually meet that person or we go to that place, how many would agree that it's often quite different than what, than what we made up in our mind? And that person w- could look different, their mannerisms will be different, the, the, how they are will be different. So when I went to Italy... You know, obviously, it was different. A lot of it was different than what I imagined. And Italian people are incredibly different than what <laughs> I imagined. Um, but, but that's good because then it's, a, it's, a, it's an enlightening experience. It's, it's a surprise. So sometimes you'll go away. Sometimes I'll go away from meeting someone and I'll say to say, oh, gosh, they are not who I thought them to be. Now, that could be in a, a really... A bad way, man, they are not who I thought they would be. Well, that could be really pleasant. You know, they're, they're just not who I, they are amazing. I didn't think that they would be that amazing. That's what Susan thought after the first time she met me. She went to her friend and said, God, he's amazing. <laughs> um, no, it's going to be fun. Peter, Sonny's not here, so I can talk about whatever I want. Okay, so <coughs> just the second thing I want you to think of is I, I would like you to think of a place that you've already been um, <coughs> where life doesn't mean as much and it doesn't, sorry, I've got that wrong, where the cares of life don't influence you as much, don't mean as much, they don't have the same weight or domination in your overall thinking process. So somewhere that you go that gives you a sense of peace and I really like being here. We've just spent 10 days um, just at a little place south of Byron Bay where we go regularly and it's just a little piece of heaven. It just really is. And you go there and life, the cares of life just fall away. I, I just want you to, there's a, there's a long beach, Tallow's Beach, it, oh, it's probably, I don't know, maybe four k's long and it's not it's never very populated and um right out from the tourist park where we stay there's these two wooden benches and you, you sit on them and you just look out and it's just blue 
and it's just we live in the most incredibly beautiful country and it's just and I sit there and I, I just feel the cares of this world just floating away and it's just amazing have you got a place like that it's really nice it's really nice and then when you come back home the cares of the world go come on back in God made a place like that for man to dwell in. It was called Eden. Eden was made by God for man. And I just want to read a little bit of a commentary after we've read this scripture in Genesis. So Genesis 2, we'll go there. Genesis 2, and I'm going to read from verse 4 to verse 9. Then the Lord God made the heavens, the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had sent rain on had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east of Eden and there he put man he had formed and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I just want to read a little commentary about <coughs> part of that scripture. <coughs> and it starts at, sorry, <coughs> verse 8. The place fixed upon for Adam to dwell in, I want, you to, I want you to really listen here, was not a palace, was not a palace, but a garden. The better we take up the plain things, the less we seek the things that gratify pride and luxury, the nearer we approach innocency. I was really struck by that. <coughs> We're talking about a, a, a being, a God, that can do whatever he wants. He can make whatever he wants. He can create whatever he wants. As seen in Genesis 1, he created the earth. But he didn't make Adam a palace with all the bells and whistles. Well, thank you, Kirsty. It's very thoughtful of you. Um, he made him a garden. For him to dwell in. I'll continue reading. Nature is content with a little, and that which is most natural grace with less but the lust craves everything and is content with nothing no delights can satisfy can be satisfying to the soul but those which god himself has provided and appointed for it eden signifies delight and pleasure wherever it was it had all desirable conveniences without any inconvenience though no other house or garden on earth was ever so. It was adorned with every tree pleasant to sight and enriched with every tree that yielded fruit 
grateful to taste and good for food. Note here, God as a tender father desired not only Adam's profit but his pleasure. For there is pleasure in innocency. Innocency, a place of not knowing. Nay, there is true pleasure in innocency. When When providence puts us in a place of plenty and pleasure, we ought to serve God with gladness of hearts and in the good things that he gives us. God as a tender father desired not only Adam's profit, but his pleasure. You know God desires your pleasure? God made the Garden of Eden so Adam could experience immense pleasure. He didn't provide a big palace, he provided a garden where the man could work, could tend and be connected to a tender father and to his world around him. I just thought that's so good. A place for man to dwell with his father. You often hear people talk about, um, about Adam walking in the garden and communing with God. That, that was a place where he could do that. He could walk in the perfect place that God had created with his dad, with his father and commune. A place of total safety and peace. A place where he could actually be fully human as he was created to be. Where God was all-powerful, he was all-knowing, but he was a loving and tender father. That is how Adam would have seen his God. His view had not been interrupted by a broken world. So I want to talk about the father this morning. And I want to talk about how we actually see him. And I just want to begin by sharing a little bit of my own story, a little bit of my personal story, that some of you may have heard, some may not. In 1999, I've been a Christian since I was nine, um, and I'm now 53. Oh, my God. So, long enough. In 1999... Um, I was pastoring a church in a little town in uh, North Queensland, just south of Mackay called Serena. Um, it was a AOG church, Assemblies of God. Please don't smite me for that. No, it's okay. It was, it, was a, it was a challenging but interesting experience. But it was certainly a time where um, uh, I learnt and understood so much about who God was. In 1999, I went to a counselling uh, school course that ran for two years. And um, over those two years, it had t- four live-in week periods. And the first one I went to, um, the person that was running it just talked day after day about God as a, a loving father and us seeing him as a loving father and I got an amazing revelation of God as a as a father and um you know I I had I've been involved in church um with my brother um leading a worship team in Townsville I had been a Christian and I'd preached and I'd done all 
what I thought a Christian should do and what I thought I should do in ministry and then I was continuing to do because I went to Serena in 97 so I'd already been there 18 months. I was continuing to do what I thought God was calling me to do. And um, the amazing thing about God is that he interrupts what we think is good and right. Can you agree with that? He interrupts what we think. Now I thought I was doing everything that was good and right in his eyes. Was he annoyed at that? No. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was gracious with that. And, and um, we had some amazing experiences inside church, outside church, with people. It, it was great. It was great. It made some great friends. God was good. But he interrupts what we think is good and right. He interrupted me. And he interrupted me with this amazing revelation that he was a tender, loving father. And it, it changed my world. It changed, it had influence on everything that I had ever believed about what it was to be a Christian. So I say that because a lot of times in our life we think and we go along doing what we believe God's called us to do. And I think that's really great. But are you available to be interrupted by God? Are you available for God to interrupt where you think he's called you to be, to go, to connect with? Are you available for him to interrupt you? Because lots of times in Western culture, we are very driven and very task and very goal orientated. So we like to, well, I don't know, we, I, I like, I like to box life up. So I've got it in control. So I know... This is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. This is what's happening in my world. But God doesn't live in a box. You can't box him up. He doesn't, that's not part of who he is. So that's what we like to do. I believe all humans like, it's human nature to do that, especially in our culture, because we're so driven by um, being and looking a certain way. We want to be successful. And our culture um, speaks, us, speaks that to us everywhere, everywhere. In our jobs, um, in our um, shops, in our families, billboards as we're driving on the road, everything. Having the SS Commodore park in the shed like my children are giving me for Christmas is all about me having the right image and being a very godly person. <laughs> are you... Are you willing to allow God to actually interrupt that with himself? Because he wants to. He wants, he wants to interrupt us every day with him. With him. And we can, we can say all that. We can say, yeah, I'm doing life for God. I've got it. I know. I know God speaks to me every day and I'm glad that he does. And I, I believe that he does speak to all of us every day. But are we, are we able to allow him to absolutely interrupt us? And go, because he did, he interrupted me. I was going here and he went, bang! And turned me and, and said, have you ever looked at this? And I went, no, no. After a lot of arguing with him and a lot of, it was, just, it was a really hard time. But he interrupted me and God wants to interrupt how you see him. 
because how we see him is diluted. It will be diluted until the day he returns or the day that we go to be with him because this world that we live in dilutes our view of God pretty much 24-7. So God wants to interrupt us all the time and if we're willing, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. So I just want to talk, I've got four things here about what influences how we see God because things influence our view of, things influence my view of God. Life influences my, my view of God. So let's just, we, we need to settle that. We no one has the perfect view of God. I don't see God better than Sue and she doesn't see God better than me. Our view of God is influenced by our culture, by our world. Number one, our view of God is influenced by our relationships. When I was in this counselling course, I began to understand that my view of God, a lot of it was established when I was a child. And who's the major influence in your life when you're a child? You want to throw that out? Who is? Parents. Define that even more. Father. Now, a lot of kids in our day and age don't even know their father. But everyone has a yearning. Everybody has a yearning to be known and loved and accepted and empowered by a father they just do and I wanted to be known accepted and empowered by my father by my dad now my dad was a great Christian man um, was radically saved when he was in his late 30s and um, but his view of God was influenced as well so he was not the perfect father he was not the perfect father. He's in heaven with Jesus now, thankfully. Thankfully. But he wasn't. So our view of fatherhood is established, a lot of it is established when we are a child. So I asked the question, and I've thought about this for myself a lot, what was your childhood like? What was your connection with your dad like? Was it safe? Or was it unsafe? Was it loving and close? Or was it cold and distant? I mean, I've had people say to me, oh, I don't think I've ever, I don't think my dad has ever physically hugged me. Do you think that might have an effect on the way that child sees God? Do you think? Nod your head if you agree. Thank you. It, it would, it would. So was it cold and distant? Was it tender or was it rough and violent? Did it empower freedom of choice with healthy boundaries or was it full of expectation and performance? My childhood, even though it had great elements of love and tenderness, but it had an element, a big element of expectations and performance. If you're a Patterson this is how your life would play out. Being very vulnerable this morning. It would play out that you would grow up in a Christian home and you would follow the Christian rules. Now, these weren't spoken things. Dad never sat me down and said, these are the list of Christian rules and you, you need to follow them or else you'll go to hell. Well, I tell you, I felt like that sometimes. I felt like that 
Now, I'm not, please, I'm not, I love my dad. I love him and I miss him. I miss him incredibly and I, sometimes I just cry because I miss him. So it's not that I'm talking bad of him. He's a per. I, if my daughter came up and spoke to you this morning, she could tell you there are things about me that formed her view of God and they are not that good. They are not that good. So I'm not, please don't hear that. But this is how you would live and then as you grow up, you would live like a good Christian and you would go to church and you would do all the right things. You would live a moral life. Um, and then as you progressed, you would look for an opportunity to become involved in ministry because that's what Pattersons do. That's how we live our life. Now, my father was a minister for longer than I can remember. My brother still is a current Assemblies of God pastor. Um, my oldest brother has been involved in leadership in church for a long time. Um, my sister, no, not so much. And I have been... Um, involved in leadership of church for a long time. And so that was the way that our... But, I, but that's, was, that, that is not who I was. I wasn't that person. I wasn't, I wasn't always a good little Christian. I didn't always have perfect morality. Quite the opposite sometimes. But my dad would never know that because I would do everything I could to hide the truth because that wasn't what was expected of me. What was expected is that I lived that sort of life. And so that's, that's the life I portrayed. And that's the life I portrayed right up until God interrupted me and exposed me for who I actually was. And it was a bit frightening. It was a bit frightening to actually have a look at who I was. So... Our, our lives are formed, one, by our relationships. And just, I just as we go through, have a think about um, Adam's relationships in the garden. How were they? He had a perfect relationship with his God, with his Father. He had a perfect relationship with everything that he was connected to in his world. Everything. Everything fed him. Everything empowered him. It was perfect. It was perfect. Another one of our influences is our culture. So what, what is our culture? What is our culture about? Why don't you just throw a few things at me? What's our culture about? Sorry? Entertainment. Self? Pardon? Money. Yeah, that's for sure. Happiness? Yep. Pleasure? Yep. Anything else? Sorry? Success, it's good. So our culture is, these are the things that I've written to add to that. Our culture is totally self-centered. It's totally materialistic. It's angry, it's unsatisfying, it's complicated, it's agenda-driven and it's performance-driven. It's created by man. Our culture is basically created by man. It's formed and everything about it is about man. It's about me, it's about us. Let's have a think about and look at the what was the culture of Eden like? What was the culture of Eden like? Throw some at me. What do you think the culture of Eden was like? Peaceful. Absolutely. Not hurried. 
perfect climate. Thank you, Steve. Yes. Sorry? Simple. Sharing. Sorry? Organic vegetables. He is right. No poisons. Quickly, I'll go home and tip my roundup out right now. That is right. That is right. Anything else? God-centered. Relational. You guys are so good. That's good. It is. That's what it was like. It was simple. It was nurturing. It was loving. It was peaceful. It was nourishing. And it was empowering. And all those things that you said. It was God-centered. It was all about God. All about him. Number three, by our circumstances. So our, how we see God is influenced by what is happening around us. It affects how we see God. Some people that I know, at some point in their life, they said to me, when life was really, circumstantially, life was hard. It wasn't working out. And one of their statements were, life is really tough. And they listed some circumstance out that was going on in their life. And the end statement was, we're finding it really hard to see God in it. So what were they asking? What were they saying? I'm finding it really hard to see God in my circumstance. Well, I have a really great answer for that. That's because he's not there. He's not in your circumstance. He doesn't make life go the way that you want. He interrupts you. So when you say something like that, when, when my, my wife read me that text, we just can't see God in it, that was my immediate answer. Well, that's because he's not there. He's not in your circumstance. I'll tell you where he is. He's with you in your circumstance. He's with you. Has life ever gone peachy for you? No, it doesn't. In 2011, a raging pile of water came straight through our place at Murphy's Creek and wrecked everything. If God was in my circumstance, what would I say about that? Well, I tell you, all I could say is, God, you, you want my attention? You got it. But, but I don't think, but I'm telling you that Susan and I experienced more of God in that time than possibly we have ever experienced before in our life. We lost a whole heap of personal things, and my children especially. And it was a horrendous circumstance. But the day after, Susan got this amazing revelation from God out of Isaiah. And God was speaking to her intimately and connecting with her. Because why? Because he was with us in our circumstance. And we've seen God everywhere, in people. We got given the most, we got given to the point that we were totally embarrassed. One guy, one guy, a friend of mine in Mackay said, give me your bank details. So I gave them to him and he put $1,000 in there and then that just spread. And we got money from people we hadn't seen for decades. 
And I'm talking money. I'm talking like forty or 50000 ended up in our account. And I, I didn't ask for one cent of it. I didn't say, we've had an amazing crisis, please give us money. See, God, God. Does, was he, he didn't make the world go around our house or anything. But man, he showed us some of who he was in that circumstance. And he was with us. He was with us. No matter what they are, he is with us. so number four so we've looked at that God is our influence or how we see God is influenced by our relationships by our culture it's influenced by our circumstance and it's influenced by religion you only have to look at what's happening in the Middle East to know that our view of God is influenced by religion. Religion has influenced people's view of God so much that they're actually killing other people. They're killing Christians because they believe that their view of who God is is right and that's what he would require of them. So what's religion all about? Religion's all about me. Religion's all about what you do and even more... It's all about what you are seen doing. So it's about our performance. That's what religion's about. It's about who we are, what we're doing, and what, more importantly, it's about what we are seen to be doing. So we, religion tells us that me plus what I do equals God's acceptance and love for me. That's what it tells me. I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about religion. The whole world is religious, Christian or not. People that go to sporting matches are religious. They're religious about sport. I'm very religious about rugby league and V8 supercars. Very. It's, it's, so our whole world is religious in that sense. But it's about them. But a lot of times if you're a Christian, you believe that me plus a long list of things. That's what I believed all up until that time when God interrupted me. I believed that me plus all these things I, I needed to, when I was in Townsville, I needed to be the greatest worship leader that ever walked and people needed to pat me on the back and tell me how great I was and then I would feel okay. If my brother didn't say you did a great job on Sunday, I was devastated. Why? When I started to preach, if someone didn't come up and say, Colin, that was an amazing sermon, I'd be devastated. Well, when did preaching become about me? Say what if, say what if people don't say that? I hope, I hope that I don't impact you. I hope that God does. I really hope that God does. And if you go away and say, God, you're speaking to me, then that's great. Hopefully I've done what he's called me to do so there was a long list of things it was it was me plus this list of stuff that was really long that i did and then I, then i was accepted by god but when he interrupted me he said colin you plus nothing nothing you plus nothing 
equals acceptance by God, by me. I love you now. So he says to you, no matter what you're doing or where you are, what you've done yesterday or what you've done this morning, like I could, I could be sinning and the very next statement out of God's mouth is, I love you and I accept you. Now, does he like sin? No. Would he prefer that we didn't? Yes. Will he help us in our circumstance of sin? Will he be with us? Yes. Because he wants us to grow to be more and more like him. God plus nothing. That's what I should have said. I said me plus nothing. God plus nothing equals his acceptance of me. God plus nothing. So we are influenced. Our view of God is influenced by relationships, family relationships, those relationships that are around us. It's influenced by our culture, which we have to meet every day. It's influenced by our circumstance and it's influenced by religion. So I want to say now that we respond to God out of how we see him. So do you think that you respond to God in a healthy way all the time? I don't. Because my picture of him is growing all the time. And my cry is that he interrupts me every day and shows me something new about who he is. Reveals himself to me. As a tender father would, tells me more about him and tells me more about how life is and who I am and who he's called me to be, and he would nurture me and love me. We need to be interrupted by God. If you find yourself walking out the door and saying, yep, I got it, I'm all together, I know what I'm doing, then you are not in a good place. If you walk out the door and say, God, help me today to become more like you and help me and interrupt my life and help me interrupt someone else's with your goodness and your love and your grace, then we are in a great place. We respond to God out of how we seem. Now, I want to. I would like for you just to look back at that scripture in uh, Genesis chapter two, and I just want to bring three things out. We're winding that up here. So, verse chapter two, verse seven. The first one comes out of that. God lovingly formed us and breathed His life into us. I had a little. I know, you might be able to call that an interruption. When I was reading this, I noted that when God created the world, he spoke. He spoke the world into being. Agreed? He spoke. world happened. When he formed man, when he made man, he didn't speak, he formed. When you make something, what changes? You care about that. You care about what you're making. You form it. He lovingly formed man. He spoke the world into being, but he formed man. Number two, and that comes out of Genesis 2, 8 and 9. God has placed us in a perfect place and we can be connected to him and his creation. Where has God placed us? 
God's placed us in him, in a loving relationship where we can be all that he wants us to be. God placed Adam in a perfect garden where he could grow and be all that God created him to be. Adam chose different, but he has placed us in a perfect place where we can be connected to him. And then later on in Genesis, after the fall, when I just want to read Genesis 3, verse 20 to 24. And Adam named his wife Eve because she would become mother of all living, of all the living. And the Lord made garments. Again, see, again he's caring. The Lord made garments because they just had fig leaves and they're irritating. But God made garments for them. Not that I've ever wore fig leaves. Not that I ever want to. <coughs> and the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. What did God, what was God doing? God was taking Adam on a journey. That's what he was doing. He was taking Adam on a journey back to himself. And that's what he's doing for us. He's taking us on a journey of discovery and revelation. Adam was fully human before the fall. He seen God as a perfect father, was in intimate relationship with him, was perfectly placed and perfectly connected to his world. God wants us to see him as a perfect father, to be deeply, intimately connected to him and to be placed in a fallen and broken world displaying him. He wants us to bear his image. Can you bear the image of God without being interrupted? No, you can't. Because it will because we are deceitfully wicked. In a moment, I want to play on the screen a list of scriptures about God the Father talking to you. I don't want you to get a pen out and madly write them down. If you want a list, I will bring a list next week and if you want one, you can grab them so that you can have a list of those scriptures. What I would like you to do, what I would like you to do is to look at the screen, focus on our God as our Father and let him talk to you and let him talk to you. And then we'll finish and we'll pray and send you on your way. Thanks, Christ.